You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. If you're visiting with us, great to have you. Uh, this is a little bit of a different um, Sunday than our norm. We have the kids with us. Normally we have a full kids' kingdom. Uh, we call it kids' kingdom, but it's children's program. So where are the kids? Raise your hand if you're a kid. All right. Awesome to have you guys. You're doing a great job. I see Brock over there. He's a big kid. Um, you guys are doing a great job. We're kind of in between. We're starting a new rotation uh, in a couple weeks. And so uh, the Peckmans will share a little bit. Uh, they, we wanted to honor people who served in the last rotation. We're going to be doing that today. Uh, we have our potluck today. This is the first time we've ever had a rib cook-off. Uh, how many of you guys brought ribs today? Oh, good. Looking forward to tasting those. And beans, we've got a bean. How many of you guys brought beans? I see the rallies have two sets of beans. Okay. <laughs> so that's going to be great. Uh, but we are having the last installment in our series we've been doing called Hashtag Wisdom from the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we're finishing that out today. We took a break last week because we had some uh, sharing from youth camp. So today we're talking about uh, Celebration Supper is the title of the lesson today, talking about communion as we see it in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and kind of what was happening. The book of 1 Corinthians is the only place in any of the epistles, any of the letters that talks about the Lord's Supper. Other than, And then all four Gospels have the account of the original Lord's Supper. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. If you don't know what that means, today's a good Sunday for you to be here because we're going to talk about it. But we're doing it a little differently today. We're going to have communion as part of the potluck. So we'll share that together over there in the cafeteria, um, but I'll, I'll kind of explain what we're going to do a little bit differently today. Uh, so 1 Corinthians, kind of uh, the, the main theme, I would say, is uh, of the Corinthians is that they were thinking selfishly. Anybody here ever thought selfishly? You don't have to raise your hand. But they were thinking selfishly. And Corinth was a city not unlike L.A. in that it was... Uh, Fairly affluent, it was kind of high class, it was like the place to go to be. Uh, a, a crossroads of a lot of different cultures there in Corinth. Uh, one of the you know key uh, key cities in the Roman Empire uh, in Corinth, uh, in part of Greece, but it was a key part of the Roman Empire. And uh, it was also well known for its sinful you know atmosphere. Kind of like Los Angeles or kind of like Las Vegas or, you know, there's there's this uh, culture of I can do whatever I want. In fact, they had a saying in Corinth, which was just that everything's permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. And, and Paul refers to it here in First Corinthians 10. I have the right to do anything, you say. It's, you know, there's different translations of it, but it was in Greek originally. So that was their saying. I have the right to do anything. Uh, but not everything is beneficial, Paul says. I have the right to do everything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And so Paul was pushing against the Corinthian culture that was seeping into the mindset of the brothers and sisters there in the church in Corinth. And and this has been a great series for us because if we're not careful, we can allow our culture to seep into our mindset. And we can allow the, the way that people think in the world around us to influence the way we think about things. And so Paul is trying to get their focus back onto Jesus and back onto where it needs to be. And we're going to see the way this mindset played out in the way that they celebrated communion. But, uh, but first of all, I want to show you this. Uh, this is something I learned in a class I took this last semester at Pepperdine. Um, 
it was about studying different cultures. And sociologists look at cultures in terms of a spectrum of whether they're individualistic or collectivistic. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but look at these, uh, th- this contrast. An individualistic culture is independent, whereas a collectivistic culture is interdependent. Individualistic culture is self-reliant, whereas collectivistic, there's a reliance on group. Individualistic, I'm gonna, that's the last time I'm going to say that, it's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> in the white group, uh, that wasn't white on purpose, it has nothing to do with race. Um, now I'm stuck with it. On the left side, even left has problems, right? Left and right has problems too. Um, so competition is valued over here. Cooperation is valued over here. Uh, personal achievement is valued over here. Group achievement is valued over here. Personal identity is prized over here. Identity is tied to social networked over here. Loosely associated with groups and individualistic and strongly associated with groups, collectivistic. And then self-assertion and autonomy are valued over here. Confrontation avoided and harmony valued over here. And you, as you look at that list, you probably make some judgments in your own mind about some of those things based on maybe how you grew up or how you were influenced by our society. America, uh, as it has been for the last several, you know, since its inception, is very much viewed as an individualistic culture. Uh, and although that is changing as we're having an influx of a lot of Eastern people. And, and if you're from an Eastern culture, a lot of the collectivistic stuff might go, oh, yeah, I re- that resonates with me. Uh, because that is a lot more in a lot of the Eastern cultures in India or in, in the Far East. Um, so these are just ways that sociologists look at cultures. Uh, the reason that's important for us is because Christianity is not an individualistic faith. It is very much a collectivistic faith. And so if we, if we are in this kind of frame of mind already, just where we live and how we are, we're, we're going to have to change our thinking to be more in line with the scriptures and more in line with the teaching of Jesus. Um, when I think about this here and, and kind of when, when this became real to me or, or I saw how individualistic I was, I remember being in college and uh, I was part of a band and I was learning to play with this band from church. Um, and uh, the other guys in the band, I was in, you know, freshman in college. The other guys in the band were older than me. And Marshall Mead and I were in this band together. Um, and we were playing some songs that I wasn't necessarily that excited about, you know. Uh, for me, they were a little bit older generation. Uh, like I remember we were playing that song by Styx, Show Me the Way. Uh, we were playing a song by John Denver, Rocky Mountain High. You know, just things like that. Um, it just didn't fire me up that much. But I mean, I'm going to serve. I'm going to use my talents and stuff. But I remember the guy who was in charge of the band... Uh, pulling me aside after rehearsal one week and saying, uh, just basically rebuking me and saying, if I had any other keyboard player I could use in the church, I would use them instead of you. Because you are not giving your heart to this. You're not practicing the way you need to practice. You're not coming in prepared. You're not coming in with an attitude to, you know, to put your best into this. And he just totally called me out. He, he read it. You know, I was going through the motions. I was there, but it was like, okay, I'm here, but I'm not really... I'm not fully invested in this group. And if a band's going to be successful, everybody's got to be fully invested in that group to make it awesome. If you're just kind of like, I don't really want to be here, I don't really like this music, but I'll do it. It's it just going to come through, you know. 
Um, so I, I, re- I remember that and, and remember what it taught me that, you know, being a part of a, ba- of a band is as much about listening as it is about playing. It's as much about what other people are doing as as much about what you're doing and how you kind of fit into that group. And so that's going to apply here as we're looking at, at Corinth and what, what the problem was with, uh, with their, the way that they were doing the Lord's Supper. So give you a little bit of context. First Corinthians uh, 8. Have I only been talking for a minute and a half? Sweet. <laughs> minute and a half on How long have I been talking? Anybody? Just so I know. Seven minutes? Okay. Got it. That'll help me. I'll, I'll add in my mind. There's a red clock back there, so you guys know. That's, that's for the speakers to so not go too long. So that's to help you. Especially when you have your kids. Don't go too long. I got my kids here. Um, so the context here in, in Corinth, he wrote this letter because of some issues Paul had heard about the church in Corinth. And then also in response to a letter they had written to him, which we don't have anymore, but we can tell from this letter that they'd written to him about several questions. So as you go through 1 Corinthians, there's different topics he gets to. And you can tell because it'll say now about this or now about that. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 8, he gets to now regarding your question about food that is offered to idols. So what we're going to read about today about communion is part of Paul's discussion about food sacrifice to idols. That is not an issue that we have today, but you're going to see, as I explain what that was, how it really applies. Okay, so here's the deal with food sacrifice to idols. He says, uh, we know that we all have knowledge, quote, about this issue. That's what they were saying. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. So Paul was saying it's not so much what you know and that you're fine and, and it, it, whatever you do, is, it doesn't matter as long as it's what's good for me is fine. He's saying, no, 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 what's important is what strengthens the church. What's important is how, how the, what you do affects the group and how what you do affects your brothers and sisters. So the issue of food sacrifice to idols. So idolatry was very prevalent in the Roman world. Uh, and especially in Corinth, Corinth was known for uh, the, the, the temple it had there. So with, with, uh, with uh, these idols, there would be uh, sacrifices made. So, for example, let's say there was a, a calf that would be sacrificed to this god. Um, it would be burned on this altar to this god. Then that meat would be taken and sold in the market and it would be cheaper because it was used kind of. Does that make sense? So it's like, it's a good deal, because it's meat that has already been used, but it's perfectly good meat. Nobody's eaten it. It's just been burned to a god. And so the Corinthians, some of them were going, what's the problem with eating that? that gods are nothing. Idols are nothing that's meaningless. So why can't I get the, why can't I eat this meat? Because it's a good deal, and it tastes good, and it's fine. You know, the, the, like, what's the, what's the issue? So that's over here. Paul's saying, but there's other brothers that... There are spiritual realities that are behind those. We know, yeah, those aren't real, but there are spiritual realities. There are demonic forces. There are things that are behind those things. And and and, and besides, if, if your conscience allows you to do it, but this brother's conscience does it, and then you do it, you're going to hurt your brother. And so the overall point was, what you do needs to be not about just what's good for you, but what is going to be good for others, like that last verse we read. What is going to strengthen the church? What is going to help your brother and sister and, and so that forms a lot of Paul's thinking in this letter is, is it's better to be wronged than to hurt your brother. Like he says, there's lawsuits in the church. 
you know, one brother suing another brother. He's like, it's better to just be wronged and just be taken advantage of than to have lawsuits in the church. The, the church has to stay united, and that's more important than your individual freedoms or your individual rights. Uh, and that cuts against the grain of America, because we're all about individual freedom and individual rights. And yet Paul says in, in the next chapter, Corinthians 9, he says, I have rights. I have rights as an apostle. I have rights as a, I'm a Roman citizen. I have all these rights, but I don't use those rights. I choose to become a slave to every man, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 9. For the sake of the gospel. Not just because I like to suffer, because I want God's kingdom to advance. I want to build up the church. So I'm going to, I'm going to put my needs aside, my selfish desires aside, and even my rights aside sometimes for the good of the body, for the good of the church. That's a challenging thought, isn't it? I mean, when it comes to, if this is my right, or this is going to help you, it's a lot easier to go with my right or what I want, right, than, than what's going to help you and what's going to help the church. And that, that's why he says, you know, that's why even G- Jesus said the, the, this faith of following him is a faith of self-denial. It is a faith of suffering. Jesus said, if I'm, I'm going all the way to the cross, and that's not for me. It's for you. And if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your own cross every day and follow me, he says in Luke 9, 23 through 26. Do you have the heart to sacrifice your own individual rights and freedoms for the good of the family? This is a good question to ask yourself. So getting to uh, where he starts talking about communion, 1 Corinthians 10 He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. I don't have time to get real into um, how he was kind of correlating communion with food sacrifice to idols. But the point that he's making is that, and this is where we get the word communion that we use for for the, the bread and the wine that we're going to take. We get it from this verse. The King James Version where it says participation. It was translated communion. The, blood, the, the cup we give is a, a communion in the blood of Christ. The bread is a communion in the body of Christ. So the word communion or participation is the Greek word koinonia. Which is also translated in other places fellowship. Uh, but it, but it, it's a commonality. It's a communion. So... This is the first place in 1 Corinthians where he says that we all share the one bread, and so we are all one body. And he's correlating uh, our sharing of communion with being the body of Christ ourselves as the the church. And so it's not about what's good for me, it's about koinonia. It's about what's good for the collective. It's the communion. It's all together as one. And so he gets to, uh, he uses this idea of the body of Christ 13 more times in the ver- in the book of 1 Corinthians. So this is kind of where he introduces it, talking about food sacrifice to idols. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 11. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for in your, your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, whoops, for when you're eating, my clicker is slow. There we go. Some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Okay, so there was some problems in the church in their meetings. And he says, your meetings do more harm than good. That's a bad thing. You know, the the apostle says, you know, I wish you guys didn't even meet for church because you do more harm than good when you get together. That's pretty hardcore. And and, and so communion in in the first century, here it's called the Lord's Supper. That's also where we, we get the Lord's Supper, that term from. It was, in the first century, it was part of a meal, just like with Jesus, it was part of a meal that he, that they were having, a, the Passover meal they were having together. But it was a special moment in that meal. And But what was happening here is, and, and they called it, in the first century, you'll see it even in the New Testament, they call it a love feast. Because they come together and it's a it's a, a great time to be together in fellowship and then and then remembering the body and blood of Jesus. But what was happening is people were all about themselves. In Corinth, and some were going ahead, and I mean, they were even getting drunk on the wine for communion, while other people were left out and didn't even have anything to eat. Have you ever been at a potluck and everything was gone? You know, that's not a it's not a good feeling. Clay raised his hand. I like Jackie's very good at that. She'll always say, "Okay, take two pieces of pizza only," you know, or whatever it is. And then we make sure we all get it. And then and Jackie does a great job of managing potluck. She'll be, she'll probably be over there saying, take two ribs today or something. Um, yeah, uh, to make sure everybody gets it. But, but Paul is saying, coming together, first of all, it's, the Lord's Supper is not even necessarily have to be a meal. He says, you can go ahead and eat in your own home. If you're hungry, that's not the purpose, right? Uh, eat in your own home. When you're coming together, it needs to be for this purpose of remembering the body and blood of the Lord. He said, what you're doing is not even the Lord's Supper. And so then he gets to uh, why they're causing more harm than good. Uh, he says, next slide here. Okay, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So that's pretty, you know, some pretty uh, sharp language that Paul uses about communion and that we need to do it in the right way. And, and there's been different interpretations of this verse. Uh, we definitely, the, the word worthy or unworthy means it, it's a... a a scales term like it's wor- it needs to be it needs to balance the scales so the way we celebrate communion needs to be worthy of what Jesus did for us and so we need to be uh, it needs to be a memorial of who he is and what he's done and, and in remembrance of him what the Corinth was doing was just having a meal and some people were getting left out and it, it wasn't about Jesus and what he did for them. it wasn't it wasn't worthy um, we see from this that he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, there's been different debates about how often to do it. It seems normative that the early century uh, or first century Christians met on the first day of the week. 
to break bread and to have communion together. And that's why we still do it today. And in our church, we do it every week. Uh, there's some churches that do it once a month or, or other have other traditions. Uh, there's nothing Jesus said about how often to do it, but he said, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So the, the purpose needs to be in remembrance of him. Um, I want to kind of show you a little demonstration here of, of the body and, and, and blood uh, and kind of what, it, what I take from it. I think, you know, we have these um, ready cups sometimes we use um, that have a little bit of bread on the top and you open it up and then there's a little bit of, of juice on the bottom. To me, this is, this is fine. It's a good, convenient way to do it. But I think we lose a little bit of the imagery of what was happening uh, on that first communion. That, that, that Jesus, uh, that first night with his disciples. First of all, it was a family time that he was having with his disciples. The Passover meal was something that was to be celebrated by households. And so Jesus brings his, his guys together, his disciples, and celebrates the Passover meal as a household. They're their own family, him and his, his uh, guys. And so they're eating the Passover meal, and the Passover meal involved uh, a, a lamb, and it involved bitter herbs, and it involved, there were some traditions associated with the Passover, remembering what Jesus had done, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, and, and, uh, and, and, and carrying them away from the Egyptians in slavery. But at the end of that, or at some point, kind of a, after that, towards the end, and you can read all the different accounts and try to see how they kind of compare with each other. Jesus did some teaching. He washed their feet. He was explaining about the Holy Spirit coming, explaining what he was doing, where he was going. But it says, uh, at some point, he took the bread, and it says he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And this is something Jesus did several times in his ministry, like when he fed the 5,000. There's a similar pattern where bread is taken, it's blessed, it's broken, and it's given. And so he says, as he's, as he's blessing it, as he's breaking it, he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's a lot of imagery in that, isn't there? More than the little ready cup to me. That Jesus himself was... Taken, he was taken from heaven, he was brought down here, he was taken hold of by God. He was broken for our sins, he was blessed, and he was given to us, and given to the world. And so, if we are to be the body of Christ, we are also supposed to be taken, broken, blessed, and given. As the collective body of Christ, that's who we are. And so when we take communion, we're not, we're, we're, and it says discerning the blood and body of Christ... Again, go back to Paul's thinking. He's talking about the church as well. He's talking about discerning the church as the body of Christ. Discerning where you fit into the community of God's people. That we're not just individuals. What was the Corinthian problem? It wasn't so much that they were failing to, you know, sit there and meditate on their sins. That's kind of how I've always thought about this verse. Okay, take it worthy. I got to sit there and really meditate. That's important, amen, we need to discern the body, blood and body of Christ. But what was the Corinthian problem? It was that they were caring more about themselves than the people around them. It's that some were rushing ahead and the poor people were getting left out. It's that there were divisions among them. So Paul's emphasis is on community as the body of Christ. And then when, when, when Jesus gave the, the wine, it's at the end, after they've had the meal, it says he, he took a cup. And, and he poured it, 
I'm not very fast with these. I didn't want to carry it over here open in the car. Good thinking, right? But wine has a lot of symbolism in Scripture because wine, especially good wine, it's not like you can put it together in a week, right? Wine is a culmination of many years uh, and, and, and much hard work and toil. And so wine really, uh, wine, you have to have peace, you have to have stability for years, uh, and then a culmination of many years, you get good wine. And so wine in the Bible is a symbol of God's blessing and of stability and of peace and of fruitfulness. And, of, and so uh, wine already has all that symbolism to it. But, but Jesus takes what's there at the Passover meal. He takes the bread that they've been eating and he says, this is my body. And then he takes the, the cup or the, the wine and he, and he pours it out and he says, this is my blood which is poured out for many. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So that has a lot of imagery to it. You know, Jesus' blood being poured out. And it's for many. So it, it carries with it his own sacrifice, but also our own sanctification and our own holiness and our own, our own being cleansed from our sin. And so remembering the body and blood of the Lord is to remember who we are in fellowship it's to remember what God has done for us. It's to remember uh, the forgiveness that is only possible through His blood. So three things I just want you to take away from what communion should be. The Lord's Supper is meant to be simple. It wasn't some ornate thing that Jesus set up. He just took the bread that was there at the meal they were having together. He took the wine that they were drinking that was common table wine present at every meal there in the first century. And he said, when you eat this and when you drink this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. It was a simple, it wasn't meant to be this ornate, um, you know, complex ceremony. It was meant to be something simple that we could grab onto. It was meant to be a memorial. It's all about remembering him. It's not about the, a priest and his power. It's not about, uh, you know, who's in and who's out and, 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 the, and you know, just the, the divisions that can be in the church. It's a memorial of Jesus. Jesus let Judas have that communion with him. And yet Satan had entered Judas, right? So, so it was, it was a, but it was a memorial of what Jesus was, was, would do for us. And then lastly, it was communal. It was a community thing. It's, it's not about who you and I are as individuals, but it's about who we are in fellowship, in koinonia. So, in a little bit, we're going to head over to the cafeteria. We're going to uh, honor some, some folks here that serve in our community. And then we're going to be heading over to the, the cafeteria. And Andy is going to be overseeing the communion over there. We're going to do it a little bit differently together. We're going to do it as a community. A little bit more. When I think of how Jesus did the communion in, in their meal, it makes me think a little bit about a toast at a wedding reception. You know how everybody's eating and celebrating and they're together and, and Jesus said, I eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And it was kind of a, a party time together that they were celebrating the Passover. But then he takes this moment, he says, and he, and he says, here's this bread and here's this wine. You know, it's kind of that special moment at the wedding reception that toast is given. Everybody stops what they're doing and focuses together for a moment. So that's kind of the way we're going to do communion today. It'll be a little bit different than we normally do it, but that's the way we're going to do it today. A couple of takeaways here uh, before uh, the Peckmans come on up here. Um, for, for the guests, if you're a guest today, 
we really desire to be a community. And so we would love for you to be more involved in what we're doing during the week. We have small group meetings. We get together and read the Bible together. We get together and go pray together and, and stuff like that during the week. We're friendships. We have friendships with one another. And we'd love to, for you to get more connected. You, you weren't meant to be alone. And Christianity is not an individualistic faith, as I mentioned at the beginning. It really only works in family. Uh, for the members, you know, if you feel like you've taken steps away from the family of God, if you're just kind of here for yourself and your own salvation, I really encourage you, you, you are here for the group. What you do matters to all of us. Just like the tiniest little part of your body. If you get, a, if you get the tiniest little paper cut on your pinky, it drives you crazy, doesn't it? So every single one of us matters to the group. And, and, uh, and, and so we want you to be more invested. We want you, what can you do to take a step towards more body involvement uh, the last half of this year? And, uh, and we are going to honor some, the Peckmans are going to come out now, we are going to honor some people who have really been giving so much to the body of, of the community here. Uh, they have been putting other needs above their own. And they have been great examples we can look to for this kind of involvement. So they're going to come on out. I'm going to turn it over to them. And then we'll close out with a song. Uh, They're going to share a little bit in the Stebergs, and then we'll close out with a song. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.